0: Today on podcast by the Bay.
1: The Japanese were considered enemy aliens, so that gave the government the authority to remove over 120,000 persons of Japanese ancestry. And interestingly, 60% of those 120,000 were American citizens.
0: Former Foster City Councilman and current activist Steve Okamoto discussing the Japanese internment and its history inside the Bay Area.
1: There's an old saying, and I will paraphrase it, that you know, if you don't remember the past, you're going to live it again. And we certainly don't want this to happen to any group.
0: And his current project, a
1: memorial,
0: to be located right here in Tamferan.
1: What we want to do is create a, a memorial plaza for two reasons. One is obviously to honor the 8,000 persons who were uh, falsely imprisoned, who lost their constitutional and civil rights. But we also want to create a place that's going to remind everyone who sees and visits the memorial that we can't have this happen again.
0: Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com slash podcastbythebay and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. Liberty Realty. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, another podcast by the Bay.
2: Well, good morning. It's podcast by the Bay. It's uh, December 8th, the day after Pearl Harbor. We're interviewing Steve Okamoto, uh, who is a resident in Foster City for over 40 years, past city council member and an activist in the community. Uh, welcome, Steve, to podcast by the Bay. and uh, He's going to give us a little... Uh, historical perspective of what happened uh, during uh, World War II, and also perspective on a project that he's working in San Bruno, a memorial uh, for the Japanese internment. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay.
1: Thanks, Patrick. Glad to be here and glad to uh, give the uh, listeners a little bit of um, my perspective on history. Uh, As you said, today is December 8th. Yesterday, of course, was... The 76th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Today, however, is very significant as well because uh, on December 8, 1941, President Roosevelt went before Congress and uttered these words: Yesterday, a date, December 7th, a date which will live in infamy. Well, it certainly has, especially to the Japanese community, because uh, after he made those words, the, uh, the United States went to war against Japan. And we were kind of torn because, you know, our families were from Japan. Most of us, however, my myself, uh, my parents, we were all born here in California. So we're all American citizens, but my grandparents were from Japan. And so they were having a, a very difficult time trying to understand What was going on? Then this uh, issue exacerbated itself on February 19th, a little over a month later, when President Roosevelt signed an executive order 9066, which basically created an exclusion zone so that if you were an enemy alien, you would have to remove yourself. It didn't initially say Japanese, but later on, the Japanese were considered enemy aliens so that gave the government the authority to remove over 120,000 persons of Japanese ancestry and interestingly 60% of those 120,000 were American citizens
2: wow so so for our listeners these American citizens were even though they were of Japanese descent and became U.S. citizens and swore allegiance to the United States, were, in, were incarcerated, so to speak. Is that right, Steve?
1: That's exactly what happened. Um, after Executive Order 9066, these uh, camps were built back in the worst parts of the country, the deserts of Arizona, in the mountains of Montana, or Wyoming, excuse me, and in the swamps of Arkansas. However, before these camps were populated by uh, the Japanese, they had to build what they call assembly centers. This was uh, places where they could start to collect the Japanese families. And as soon as the American concentration camps were completed in the interior, then they would ship them. Uh, The most uh, local one here, and the most recognizable, is uh, Tanforan Racetrack. Many of you out there may not realize that the shops of Tanforan in San Bruno was really a racetrack. It burned down in 1964, but from uh, uh, March of 42 until October of 42, over 8,000 persons of Japanese ancestry were imprisoned there.
2: Wow, that's quite a bit for the audience, 8,000 people over there. And what were the accommodations?
1: Well, they had to build barracks on the interior of the racetrack, but they didn't build them fast enough, so many of us, including my family, they had, we lived in a horse stall for about six weeks until they found more accommodations for us. And I remember my mom telling me as I got older that she didn't re- remember too much about Ferrand itself because we were there just for a very short period of time. But the thing that she said she would never forget was the smell of the horse manure. She said that smell was with her the rest of her life.
2: How old were your mom and dad?
1: Well, let's see. Uh, I guess they were probably in their 30s, I guess. Uh, I was only eight weeks old when uh, we had to live in Tanfred. My sister, older sister, was uh, three, Uh, but the rules and the orders by the government was that you could only bring what you could carry you know there was no shipping of of uh, articles to this place so just imagine my mom and dad carrying me and my sister holding my mom's hand with her dolls and whatnot, and my dad then having to carry two or three suitcases because he you know, my, my mom couldn't do that, so it was really tough on a lot of people.
2: Well, great. Why don't you go ahead and, and give us a little historical background and what was going on in the country at that time, so that we can kind of refresh our listeners of what happened during World War II and Roosevelt.
1: Well, of course, um, Roosevelt really hated the German Germany, uh, especially Nazis, and he really wanted to get into the war, but. The country at that time was really not in the mood for anything more because they had just come out of a world war a few, ten years earlier. They had just come out from a horrible depression, and they just wanted to be left alone and let's not do anything. But Roosevelt was very adamant. He wanted to get into the war. Now, back in 1940, Germany, Italy, and Japan signed a treaty. It was called a Tripartite theory, a Treaty. It was very similar to NATO today, N-A-T-O, which said that if one country is attacked, the other countries will come to their defense. Well, we couldn't attack anybody, but we wanted someone to attack us. So Roosevelt thought, well, you know, the most likely one would be Japan. So he went out of his way to really... Uh, get the Japanese really upset, put them in a corner so that the only avenue for them was to attack. He, he embargoed, he froze assets, he did everything they could to antagonize the Japanese. Interestingly also at that time the US government had broken the diplomatic Japanese code. So they kind of knew what was going on between Jap- uh, Japan and Tokyo and their representatives in Washington, D.C. And they found out that there was going to be an attack. They didn't know, they couldn't figure out through um, the diplomatic cables exactly where it was going to be, but they thought it was either going to be in Hawaii or in the Philippines.
2: Now, Steve, at that time, probably the uh, citizens in the United States um, and the Japanese uh, citizens and immigrants probably didn't understand this or realize that this was going on is that true
1: oh absolutely uh things like this were were kept very hush-hush very hush-hush but uh during that during that time the government found out that there was a armada of four carriers and supporting ships heading to the north pacific and that meant only one thing that they were going to attack hawaii
2: just for a, just for our audience out there, um, I think we need to express at this time Hawaii was not a state in the United States, and explain uh, what Hawaii was to the United States.
1: Well, Hawaii was a territory, similar to uh, Puerto Rico uh, here today, uh, but it still had Pearl Harbor, which was uh, one of the largest naval bases that we had. There were over 5,000 seamen and, and uh, military there, um, but... Roosevelt really didn't tell the commanders in Hawaii that you are going to be attacked. He just kind of sent a general cable saying that there is going to be some uh, military activity in the Pacific, that we, we don't know where it's going to be. So there is consir- conspiracy theories that uh, Roosevelt really knew that the attack was going to be in Hawaii, but he wanted the Pearl Harbor to be attacked, which would then give him an excuse To go to war
2: at that time, how many people from uh, Japan were living in Hawaii? The
1: 1940 census had 547,000 people total, but of that uh, 547, 123,000 were Japanese. Almost 37 percent of the uh, population was Japanese. Uh,
2: With the bombing of Pearl Harbor, was there quite a few Japanese that lost their lives too?
1: Uh, not not a lot. Um, there were over 3,000 military personnel that were killed. Uh, there were a few stray bombs hitting neighborhoods around there, but there was not a significant loss of Japanese lives.
2: Okay, I'd like to kind of go back to some for our listeners um, and for uh, Steve to kind of express um, how U.S. citizens of Japanese descent lost their rights. Um, I think we have some concern, even in our country today, of profiling a particular group of people um, as a, I would say, an enemy um, or a terrorist, so to speak. So what's what's your feelings on that?
1: Well, again, the Japanese back then were considered enemy aliens and it didn't matter whether you were a citizen or not Um, and so when 120,000 were shipped to the interior, uh, basically without due process they lost their civil, they lost their constitutional and most importantly, they lost their human rights because they were shipped to parts of the country that during the winter was cold and windy, and during the summer they are hot and, and sticky. Uh, they, they built these barracks with no insulation, maybe just a, a tar paper roof, but the, um, the wood that was built, they didn't seal them. So during the winter, all the dirt and sand was blown into all of these barracks. Is
2: there any other locations that you might tell us where they were located? What other states that might have had this uh, same type of uh, uh, interment?
1: Well, there were 10 American concentration camps built. Uh, One here in California called Manzanar. There was one up in the Oregon-California border called Tule Lake. There was one in Wyoming. There were two in Arizona, there was one in Utah, and believe it or not, there was one in Arkansas and one in Colorado.
2: Well, and what was the total approximate population of uh, Japanese who were incarcerated there? Well,
1: there were 120,000 Japanese from the West Coast, of which 60% were American citizens.
2: Wow. Uh, Were these Japanese U.S. citizens eventually able to overcome and serve during the war at all?
1: It took a while for the government to realize that the Japanese uh, were not disloyal. There was no evidence of sabotage or treason at all. And the FBI told Roosevelt this, even before the war, that there's no uh, subversive activities. So finally, uh, Roosevelt said, all right, we will form a all Japanese unit. It started in Hawaii because Hawaii was, they, most of them were not imprisoned. Uh, a few of them came from the camps. A lot of them were really pissed off at the government saying, Why should I fight for you when I'm imprisoned and I lost my constitutional rights? But eventually, uh, there were boys from the uh, mainland and Hawaii who formed a fighting unit called the 442nd, 442. It was a regimental combat team made up around 10,000 initially. And um, at the end of the war, because of its size, the uh, 442nd and 100th Battalion were the most highly decorated unit in American military history. There were over 9,000 Purple Hearts, there were 21 Medals of Honor, and other numerous medals. So
2: for the distinction for the audience, um, were this these troops all Japanese, or were they integrated with the other troops?
1: No, it was a segregated group. It was all Japanese. Interestingly though, it was led by Caucasian officers.
2: Wow, Wow! well congratulations to all those that fought during the war and we were, were deeply saddened by the discrimination that took place. And everybody in our audience should be passionate about making sure that doesn't reoccur. Um, Is there anything in particular that you think uh, would have uh, brought a uh, better solution than what happened?
1: Well, uh, after the war and uh, into the late 70s and early 80s, there was a congressional hearing and a commission was formed, Commission on Wartime Interment of Civilians. And it was determined after hearing testimony from thousands of former internees up and down the West Coast, that there were three reasons for this to happen. One of it was racism. There was a lot of racism way back then. I mean, my, par- uh, my uh, grandparents, they couldn't be citizens. Uh, my grandparents, they couldn't own property. So there was a lot of racism going on. The other issue was uh, pol- uh, lack of political leadership. The, uh, the go- government actually said there was no leadership back then. And finally, war hysteria, that they would do anything, uh, give up civil and constitutional rights to, uh, you know, for the war.
2: Kind of sounds like what happened prior to that, the McCarthyism, the people being scared of communism, where they thought actors or anybody from a foreign country or anybody that spoke against the government was a communist automatically.
1: Oh, that's right, Patrick. And believe it or not, it's happening today. You look at what's going on with the travel ban. You look at what's going on initially, uh, after the administration took power, they were saying, well, we could uh, round up all the uh, you know folks from the Islamic countries here in the country today because we did it to the Japanese. They were using that as precedent for doing that to... Muslims today. Well, isn't
2: it kind of scary, too, that that first group of countries uh, that they categorize as those type of countries that we should be banning those people? We haven't had a terrorist act from those countries, have we?
1: We have not had it from that country, and one of the biggest ones that we did get the terrorists from, they're not on that list.
2: Wow, that's scary. That's scary. Um, Why don't you talk a little bit about what your role is here, And, and I know you've been working on this since 2012. Tell us what you do.
1: Well, we wanted to uh, create a place uh, for two reasons. Uh, It's going to be at the shops at Tanferan and the BART station in San Bruno. And just as an aside, I want to really thank and compliment the folks at BART. They have been so supportive, so cooperative, so helpful that uh, they are just really strong partners with this project. But what we want to do is create a a memorial plaza for two reasons. One is obviously to honor the 8,000 persons who were uh, falsely imprisoned, who lost their constitutional and civil rights. But we also want to create a place that's going to remind everyone who sees and visits the memorial that we can't have this happen again. There's an old saying, and I will paraphrase it, that you know, if you don't remember the past, you're going to live it again. And we certainly don't want this to happen to any group.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, tell us uh, the, the goals that you've already reached um, with the memorial. I know you've reached some financial goals, and you've got, you've got some more.
1: Yes. Um, well, I'm fortunate to be on a very good committee. Uh, I'm the vice chair, and my wife is on the committee as well, Diana. And uh, what we've done is raised, we needed about a million dollars to put together our statues and whatnot. Uh, we were fortunate to get a grant from the National Park Service for $400,000. Four wow. Hundred. That's amazing. Uh, Tail County was very interested in supporting us. We thanked the Board of Supervisors, especially Supervisor Dave Pine. Dave was very instrumental and helpful in getting us the monies from the uh, Measure A funds. The County of San Mateo, realizing how important this project is to the county, uh, gave us a check for $250,000. So that's uh, six hundred fifty. dollars We have private donations of about uh, close to $200,000. So we're about a little over $100,000 short. So um, what I'd like the listeners to do is go to my website. It's called Tanforan Memorial, it's all one word, tanforanmemorial.org, and it's a really well-constructed website. It gives you all the information about what happened back in 1942. Uh, it gives you um, a lot of information on how you can donate, who's on our committee, so it's a, it's a legitimate uh, fundraising effort.
2: Okay, do you have PayPal on there, too, so people can make donations by PayPal? We have
1: PayPal, we have credit card, we have whatever is necessary to get your dollar.
2: Well, that's great. Uh, Steve, can you tell us, do you go out to schools and organizations and and uh, give a presentation so that we can enlighten some of these uh, civic organizations?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, very happy to speak to groups. I've, I've spoken especially to high school history groups. I've spoken at San Mateo school and i'll be speaking at sarah later uh early next year but i also speak to a lot of uh, service clubs like the Lions, the rotary the kiwanis I speak to church groups i speak to historical societies um anybody that would like to get a speaker to really tell the story about what happened to the Japanese in 1942. If
2: they go to the website, can they get a contact email or a contact number for you?
1: Yeah, there's a place where you can leave a message and we get those messages.
2: Steve, um, is is there anything else that you think that the listener should be aware of that's going on? that? In your thoughts that could improve a better communication with the citizens of that we have in this country
1: well uh, one of the things I would like the government to do is stop using euphemisms a euphemism is using one word to explain another Uh, during World War II the government was just full of euphemisms for example we're talking about the internment of Japanese-Americans Well, internment is a very benign word. It really is imprisonment of Japanese Americans. They talk about evacuation. Well, what does that mean? It really means forced removal. But the one that really sticks in my craw is a headline that I found that said, aliens and non-aliens shipped to the interior. Well, if you look at that and say aliens are not an alien ship to the interior without thinking, okay, they, they ship a bunch of people. But what is a non-alien? A non-alien is a citizen. But can you imagine if the government said aliens and citizens ship to the interior? So this was a, a battle that we've been trying to fight for years.
2: What a sad thing to think that U.S. citizens that swore allegiance to this country were interned. I think our listeners should be appalled. Steve, I'm part of the greater generation just as well as you are. My father was a veteran in World War II and served under Patton's army. Um, I was lucky or very fortunate before he passed away a few years ago, he shared what what went on in World War II. Did your parents share with you uh, their dilemma with this situation here with the incarceration of the Japanese and especially your mom and dad?
1: Most Japanese after the war... um, they had different emotions. One of them was just, hey, I'm so pissed off, I don't want to talk about it. The other one is, I am so ashamed that I don't want to talk about it. And the third, which was my parents, is, we have to prove harder now to be Americans. So we we didn't speak Japanese at home. Uh, we did all the good things that American young men did, Boy Scouts, and my mom was the head of the PTA, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah, we... Uh, we didn't do anything way back then, but in the late 70s, early 80s, a group of us, uh, you called us activists, uh, we were just really uh, you know, involved in the community. We wanted to tell the story, and we wanted to have some sort of redress from the government. So we fought a long political battle. We had some really strong support in Congress. Uh, the. Th- theme that we used in Congress wasn't, hey, we have to uh, you know give money to the Japanese because they were interred. The theme that we used was their constitutional rights were taken away. So we should then redress because of that. And that resonated with some of the congressmen in the South who never heard of the Japanese. What year
2: was this? This no was
1: problem. a... a mid-'80s, early-'80s. And what happened uh, well, through all this? finally, because of this commission that uh, Congress put together, the, uh, the Congress said, uh, okay, we will give you redress. And in 1988, President Reagan signed the bill. And in the early-'90s, these uh, checks were sent out. Interestingly, though, a note was accompanying that check. And it was signed by the then first Bush president. And he actually apologized on behalf of the country for what happened to the Japanese. That's never happened before. The government actually apologized.
2: Well, congratulations to uh, the Japanese people in the, in the United States for acknowledging uh, some something that we cannot even fathom to U.S. citizens, even though they were of Japanese descent. Uh, what exactly did the government do besides acknowledgement? Was there any, uh, any retribution or anything paid to the uh, people that were incarcerated?
1: There, there was a check attached. Uh, it was nowhere near the economic impact that the Japanese suffered. Uh, it was a check for $20,000, uh, but again, compared to the millions of dollars of losses to farms and businesses, it was more of a token uh, action And to our
2: listeners out there, many of these Japanese people lost their homes and businesses. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, the uh, Executive Order 9066 on February 19th uh, only gave the Japanese people a few weeks to get their things in order. So businesses and farms and, and you know friends of ours who had homes, they had to sell their pianos for pennies on the dollar. It was horrible because, you know, the buyers knew that uh, the Japanese were in a bind, that they had to get rid of it.
2: And for our audience, and in comparison, World War II, a lot of the uh, Jewish people during in Germany lost their businesses and it took them many, many years, uh, maybe almost 40 or 50 years to get some kind of retribution back from the uh, country of Germany.
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah,
2: uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Um, it, do, you, do you feel the current relationship with the United States and Japan is, is on solid ground? Or is it a little bit, uh, uh, mo- uh, a little bit uncertain with our new administration? Uh,
1: well, I, I think that the current relationship is good. It seems as though uh, Prime Minister Abe and uh, the current president, they seem to get along pretty well. Um, so they play
2: golf don 't they
1: well uh, they they play golf together, but unfortunately, uh, Abe was not uh, a very good golfer they didn 't show too much of that on the news, but yeah, they play golf
2: well, I appreciate that frankness in telling us that um, Steve, you also have a um, a, a passion here to uh, bridge um, a new sister city. Could you tell us what what you mean by that and
1: well, I think that um you know, we we talked about the national relationships with Japan and the U.S. I think that the relationships really have to start from the the ground level or what we call grassroots. And uh, there's a there's a relationship called sister city, where one city here in the U.S. becomes a sister city to another country's sit, uh, city. Uh, it's really important that these sort of relationships are created. Because one of economic issues, social issues, but most important, educational issues, it's important that we learn about other people. So uh, what I tried to do when I was a council member in 2011 is to create some sort of relationship. And for the next couple of years, I visited representatives of many countries, uh, China, Korea, uh, uh, Taiwan, and also the Isle of Man. Uh, None of them were really suitable until uh, the Japanese consulate in uh, San Francisco suggested this one city called Inagi, I-N-A-G-I, Inagi City. And so I asked him, why Inagi City? He said, well, back in the 1800s, the Inagi City was a little village. And in the 50s, it was a town. But in 1971, it was incorporated as a city. And he knew that Foster City also in 1971 was incorporated as a city. So I went and uh, met with these folks and found out that we have a lot of similarities. We're both very, very uh, environmentally conscious. Uh, they're really into sports and sports facilities as we are here in Foster City. And and one of the most important things is they really are conscious of education. And so the first thing that they wanted to do is once this relationship was created, was to send their kids, their middle school kids, here to Foster City to learn about how we do things here in America, and they would, of course, entertain a group of middle school. Kids. Well, I'm
2: fortunate to do, uh, as a member of the Lions, to work on Flag Day and present flags to the kids in the middle school, and the diversity is just enormous here in Foster City, and it's a beautiful. I think you've got the right sister city. Let's hopefully that city council of ours out there has the where for all to work towards your goal, because I think that's a great goal, especially, uh, especially celebrating the diversity and also celebrating Japan.
1: Well, let's just hope it works out.
2: I appreciate that. Any closing words for pod from podcast by the Bay, Steve, we appreciate your time and your energy, and we hope the listeners enjoy it. And remember, Steve, do you have a website, again, you wanted to give us?
1: Well, again, uh, the best way to contact me is with uh, going to our tanforanmemorial.org. Leave a message there. And if you have uh, questions, if you have uh, a donation you'd like to make, or if you'd like to tell us your story, we would love to hear it. So, again, Patrick, thank you, and thank to our listeners.
2: Thanks. Thank you, uh, Steve, by Podcast by the Bay.
0: Thank you for listening to another Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at slash Podcast by the Bay and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. Liberty Realty. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.